I'm going to open us in prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. Uh, Father, we're grateful for just this time together. We thank you for our church. We're grateful for um, just the leadership uh, that you have uh, blessed us with. We, we just come to you now. Uh, we ask that you would speak into our lives, uh, that you would teach us what we need to hear. Uh, we just commit this time to you now in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when Gil asked me to speak last week and then again this week, we kind of concluded, or he concluded that it might be a good idea for me to speak on the newest book that I've written called Wisdom, Life's Great Treasure. And so that's what I'm going to do. And people have asked me, why would I write a book on wisdom? And one of the things I like to share is something that um, in Proverbs that I don't know whether I read it or someone read it to me when I was a kid. I want to say I was like 12. And let me just read these four or five verses from Proverbs 3 starting, um, starting in verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. And so I really wrote this book for, for anybody. I was just, I've always been intrigued by the issue of wisdom. Uh, never really quite understanding what it was for many years. Um, but I just, I, 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 from time to time, will write a book that focuses on a, a particular audience, maybe like men. Or I did one for college students uh, uh, called Sex at First Sight. But this is really for anybody. It's very helpful for parents in teaching their children, particularly their teenagers, on how to be wise. But I think the importance and the significance of this has to do with what why is, William, why is wisdom of such great value? And I think the best place to start is to understand the actual definition of wisdom. It comes from a Hebrew word, chakmah, which means to have a skill or expertise in living. To have a skill or expertise in living. And you have to ask yourself, if I possess that, what would that be worth to me? I mean, think about how that would impact your life and your relationships and your work and the decisions you make. But unfortunately, and you're probably well aware of this, is that modern people seem to lack real wisdom. You know, life is just not working very well for a lot of people. And so many of them don't know why and they don't know what to do. Last year, there was a, an interesting article in uh, the New York Times, and it was titled, How to Live Wisely. And it was written by Dr. Richard Light, who teaches uh, graduate school uh, at Harvard. And this is, what he, this is right out of the article. He says, imagine you are dean for a day. What is one actionable change you would implement to enhance the college experience on campus? He says, I've asked students this question for years now. And the answers can be eye-opening. He says, a few years ago, the responses began to move away from tweak the history course or change the way labs are structured. 
He says, we're not hearing this anymore. He says, more and more students are asking, how can we learn to live more wisely? It seems that, the mo that modern life is not working well for these young people, and these are some of our very best and brightest. And they want to know, how do I turn this around? Now, in my opinion, one of the major components of being wise, and this really relates to what I, I spoke on last week, is to have the ability to distinguish between those ideas in life that are true from those ideas in life that are false. One of the best books, probably one of the, 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 one of the best-selling books of all time, is Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Covey contends that if people are truly going to lead healthy, vibrant lives, he says, your ideas about life must be rooted in what is true. And he shares a great uh, illustration of this, the importance of it. He says, imagine you're going to Chicago for the very first time in your life, and you fly in at night, you go to your hotel room, you spend the night, you wake up the next morning, you go down to the front desk, and you ask, do you have a, 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 you have a map of the city to help me get around? And they said, you're in luck. We have some brand new maps just delivered yesterday. And they hand you the map. And what they fail to realize is that the printer had made a mistake. Really what you are possessing is a map of the city of Detroit. And it says Chicago across the top. And you go out and you begin to try to find your way around in the city. And what you realize, though, is that you are terribly lost. Nothing makes sense. You don't know how to get around. And you kind of get angry and frustrated. And he says, so you stop and you begin to think about maybe a new strategy. And the new strategy is, I'm going to try harder. <laughs> I'm going to walk faster. So I can learn to really get around the and find my way around and see all the places that I want to see. But you find out you just get more lost. And then you come up with a different strategy. You think, I'm going to change my attitude. I'm going to have a positive attitude. And that's going to help me get around. It's going to help me find my way. And Covey says, you can develop every strategy that you can think of. But he says, if you don't have the right map, you will find yourself lost, terribly lost, and he applies that to life. He says, if you don't have the right maps in this life, you'll find yourself lost all the days that you're here. And I think this, this is true in the, in the lives of so many people. They're attempting to live their lives with maps that are entirely inaccurate. And it's so easy to develop false ideas about some of the most important and strategic areas of a person's life. We can have false ideas about what does it really mean to be successful? What does it really mean to be wealthy? What is true wealth? Last week we talked about how easy it is to, for, for us as men to develop false ideas about what does it really mean to be masculine? What is true masculinity? 
And so easy to develop false ideas, whether it's about finances or about work or about your identity or about happiness or the, or, or the path to happiness. It's so easy for us to have false maps. Now there's a second aspect of wisdom that I think is important to understand. So many people in life think that life is all about just making good moral choices. That if I am moral, life will go well for me. Now, it's very true, if you make bad moral choices, you can wreck your life. There's no doubt about that. But have you ever thought about this? The most significant decisions that you make in life are not moral issues. They're judgment issues. And therefore, they require wisdom. I mean, think about all the major decisions of life. Your career choice, or maybe a career change. Choosing a spouse. And then once you're married, how, how, how does one become a good husband or a good wife? How do you have a good marriage? Then you have financial decisions, investment decisions, raising your children. You know, how do you raise a child? And then you've got issues like, how do I spend my time? What are my priorities going to be? You see, so much of this is, is, is not moral. It has to do with good judgment. It has to do with, with wisdom. You see, wisdom knows how life really works. And wise people, this is one of the things that I've found, wise people are very forward-thinking in that they realize that there is a connection. All of life is connected. That there is a cause and effect relationship between the choices that we make today and what you experience tomorrow. And ultimately, wisdom understands that there is a pattern or fabric to all of reality. You see, life is governed by certain laws and principles that God has woven into our earthly existence. And the thing that we need to understand is that principles are not good or bad. They're not moral or immoral. They're simply true. And the great thing about principles is that they make your life predictable. They create the potential for certain outcomes in your life. And most significantly, our lives will flourish when they are in harmony and aligned with these principles. Now, I, in, the, in the book, I talk about five significant principles in life that we need to understand and live our lives in alignment with. But Covey says this about principles. He says, principles always have natural consequences attached to them. There are positive consequences when we live in harmony with the principles. There are negative consequences when we ignore them. But because these principles apply to everyone, whether or not they are aware, this limitation is universal. And the more we know of correct principles, the greater is our ability to live wisely. By centering our lives on timeless, unchanging principles, we create a fundamental paradigm of effective living. Covey goes on to say that you cannot violate these fundamental principles with impunity. Whether we believe in them or not, these unchanging principles have proven to be valid throughout all of human history. So what I thought I would do this morning is share with you two 
of what I consider to be most of the most important principles in life. And they're, in one sense, they're, you'll see they're very biblical. And they're very simple. But as I did, you dig into them, you realize they're quite profound. And this first principle, I'm going to be kind of bold, or I would be so bold to say that I think this first principle will ultimately determine the outcome of your life. And it's called the principle of the path. And I got this from a book that I read by Andy Stanley called The Principle of the Path. <laughs> and before I share it with you, I want to I read three verses from what the Bible calls wisdom literature, the Psalms and the Proverbs. In Psalm 36, 4, it says, The fool sets himself on a path that is not good. Psalm 16, 11 says, Thou, O Lord, will make known to me the path of life. And then in Proverbs 16, 25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death and destruction. Now that word way is the Hebrew word derek, and it means pathway. And so what you see as you read the scriptures, the Bible seems to indicate very clearly that there are many pathways we can go down. But unfortunately, and this is what I think is happening today, is, is what I just shared with you from Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way, there is a pathway that seems right, that seems good, but its end is the way of destruction. Now, the principle of the path is simply this. Every one of us right now is on a pathway that is leading us to a certain destination. And the pathway you are traveling down will determine the ultimate destiny of your life, whether you realize it or not. You see, the principle of the path is not a respecter of persons. It really doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care how well educated you are, how attractive you are, how successful you are. It's at work in your life every single day. And the best way maybe to visualize this is to think of somebody that you know that leads an exceptional life. And you have to ask yourself the question, how did that come to pass? Was it an accident? Did they get lucky? You see, what you'll always discover is that people are where they are in life as a result of a series of decisions which together have formed the path leading to their present circumstances. And ultimately, that's true in all of our lives. I, uh, I know I share a lot of sports examples, but this one's I think is pretty good. I had a father share with me how in the summer of 2010, his son went to a, um, he went to a sports camp, a, a football camp. And he, um, and I, there are like 700 kids at this camp. You know, how they, uh, keep up with them, I have no idea, but he says, Dad, my group was out Saturday morning at 7 a.m. They had us out at 7 a.m. And he says, you're not going to believe this, at the other end of the field was Mark Ingram. And he said he was the only player out there, and there was a graduate assistant, and they were, he, I, I, it's hard to believe they have these machines, but he was putting footballs in those, these machines, and the machine was throwing passes. To Mark Ingram, in other words, he was out working on his receiving skills. 
Now, I share that just the, the, the previous season, he had won the Heisman Trophy. And yet he's out on a Saturday morning working on his game. And I share that to say that Mark Ingram would, did not win the Heisman Trophy or become a first-round draft in the NFL because he was lucky or even because he was skillful. You see, he got on a path that enabled him to develop his skills so that he could become an exceptional football player. And this is how life works. The principle of the path, again, is, is at work in your life every single day. For instance, every single one of us in this room right now are on a physical health path of some kind. And it's taking you in a certain direction. And if you stay on it, in all likelihood, it will impact the length of your life and the quality of your life as you get older. If you're married, your marriage is on a path of some kind. Hopefully, it's a path that's leading to growth and intimacy and love. If you're like me and have children at home, we're, we're, about, <laughs> we're about to get out of that, uh, of that, I don't know what you want to call it. We have, three, we have two in college, we've got one still at home. But bottom line is, if you have children at home, you're on a child-rearing path. You really are. And the path that you're on, in all likelihood, will have an impact on your children and the, and the people they become as adults. Your career is on a path, as are your financial affairs. And most significantly, every single one of us is on a spiritual path of some kind. And hopefully that path is one where you are seeking God and that your, your relationship with Him is growing in depth and intimacy as time goes by. But for a lot of people, it may be, as it says in the book of Hebrews, you're just kind of spiritually drifting through life. And again, the paths that we're on always determine where and how our lives end up. Which leads to a very, very significant question. Why do we choose paths that don't lead us towards our intended hopes and dreams? Why are there such discrepancies between what we actually desire in our hearts and what we end up doing with our lives? And think about this. Why would anyone... Why would anybody want to waste their talents and abilities? And yet, unfortunately, it happens. Well, let me share this. I really think there are three primary reasons that we don't get on the paths that lead us to where we really want to go and know we need to go. There are three primary reasons. There may be more than three, but there are three primary reasons. And see if this has any application to you, if this relates to you in any way. The first is a major problem and it has to do with our intentions you see we have great intentions for our lives and we think somehow falsely that by living with great intentions it's gonna get me where I want to go in life but at the end of the day it's the direction of the path not one's intentions that ultimately determine a person's destination in the, uh, the July 2010 Harvard Business Review, there was an article written by Clayton Christensen. You may be familiar with him. 
a very, very bright and wise man. He, uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar. He, he went to Harvard Business School, and now he teaches there. Or last I heard he did. Um, he says, over the years, this was, this was out of the article, over the years I've watched the fates of my Harvard Business School classmates from 1979 unfold. I've seen more and more of them come to reunions unhappy, divorced, and alienated from their children. I can guarantee that not a single one of them graduated with the deliberate strategy of getting divorced and raising children who would be estranged from them. Yet they went down a path that led to this consequence. You know, I think every person, we're all, listen, we're all touched by divorce in some form or fashion. But I think every person that gets married does it with great expectations for the future. They have great hopes and dreams for the future. Without realizing, they get on paths that lead to divorce. This is one of the things I write about in the book in the area on relationships. That it's really struck me, I mean, we just celebrated our 22nd anniversary, but it's really struck me how, you know, you have to be intentional in marriage. You have to have basically intentionally come up with a plan to see your marriage grow. You see, in our culture, we think that we just will, we, we will live off the momentum of romantic love, and it just doesn't work. We have great intentions for our lives. But great intentions don't get us where we really need and want to go. Now, there's a second reason people don't get on a path that leads them to their intended, intended hopes and dreams. And this is very pertinent, I think, to the culture that we live in today. And that is this. Modern people are not on a quest for truth and wisdom. Instead, they're on a quest for fun, pleasure, happiness, and feeling good. And what ends up happening is that we're so often guided by our feelings and not by wisdom and good judgment. You see, our desire for pleasurable feelings has a far greater power over our ability to reason and think clearly. I was reading about Oscar Wilde, the great English author and poet, considered one of England's greatest writers greatest literary figures. Unfortunately, though, he squandered everything and died penniless, but before he died, he reflected on his life and listen to what he said. He said, I must say to myself that I ruined myself and that nobody great or small can be ruined except by his own hand. Terrible is what the world did to me. What I did to myself was far more terrible still. You see, while he really desired to live a long life and, and do great literary work, but he said, he also, my problem is, he says, I love pleasure more. He says, in the end, as he put it himself, I allowed pleasure to dominate me. My life has ended in horrible disgrace. You see, the path that leads to excellence is often difficult, and it's particularly difficult getting started. We used to, my, we don't use this as much as a motto, but when my kids were younger, we, I read a book called Do Hard Things. We were my two teenagers. And so when my children would complain about, you know, doing something hard, we'd, we'd, we'd remind them, you know, do hard things. And I tell them, if they persist going down difficult paths, over time, the path gets easier. Not because the nature of the task has changed, but your ability to do it has increased. 
And I don't want to embarrass my wife, but I use this story. Um, she's pretty physically fit. She exercises a, a, a good bit. And uh, for whatever reason, I can't remember, it was three, four, five years ago. Maybe it was four or five years ago. She decided she was going to begin to swim, take up swimming for exercise, for, for her health. She'd heard it was really good for you. And I remember the first day when she had, had uh, and somebody was kind of helping her get started. Uh, when, when I got home, I asked her, how did it go? She said, it was a miserable experience. <laughs> she, hadn't, she, was, she didn't really swim much growing up, and she said, I can't tell you how much of the water that I swallowed today in the pool. And my natural um, response was, well, why don't you just give that up? You've got plenty else to do. But not her. She persisted. And today, she is quite the swimmer. In fact, she had a, 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 at the pool at the Y, one, a, an older man said, where did you swim collegiately? <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that she says, she would tell you that she loves swimming, but I think she enjoys it, and she really loves the benefits that come from it. But think about it. Nothing about swimming has changed. The only thing that's changed is her ability to do it. It's increased. John Piper put it best. He says, all training is painful and frustrating as you develop certain skills. However, over time, as these skills become second nature, they lead to greater joy in your life. And so I would ask, as we sit here today, to take a good hard look at your life and how do you spend your time? And how do you answer this question? Am I on a wisdom and truth and growth quest? Or am I on a fun and pleasure and feel-good quest? Because these two pursuits seem to always lead in separate directions. And <clears throat> over the years, I share this message with my, my children fairly often. And I can remember one of the times my daughter hearing it for like the third or fourth time says, Oh gosh, Dad just doesn't want us to have any fun. And I said, look, there's clearly a place for pleasure in this life. In fact, pleasure is a gift from God. The problem is it just doesn't satisfy the human heart. It never was intended to. And what I share is that if it becomes the object of your life, it can ruin you. But there is a proper place for it. Now, a third and final reason we don't get on paths that lead us to our intended hopes and dreams, and this is also very modern, is that we, um, we're always looking for shortcuts. I mean, you know, to really grow and develop any area of your life requires you to go down some difficult paths. So we end up looking for an easier path, a shortcut. And we usually do it through easy techniques and formulas. Go to any large bookstore. Go to Books A Million, go to Barnes & Noble, go to the self-help section. You'll see them, they're there. Seven easy steps on how to have a perfect marriage. Five simple techniques to double your sales. I heard on CNBC, I hear this regularly, easy stock trading techniques that will make you millions. And notice, the steps are always easy. You see, in today's world, if you have a problem, there's somebody out there who will promise you a formula to easily overcome it. And this becomes a lot of people's approach to life. 
particularly to business and in sales. I have two, um, two men that work with, uh, with us at the center, and uh, both of them are counselors. And that's one of the things they say is that people come into them for counseling hoping that a 45-minute session is going to solve all their problems. We look for easy solutions that really don't exist. And so we, what is so important to realize that there is an art to living this life, and it's not an easy formula. In order to make progress on the most important and meaningful objectives of life requires you get on the right paths and to steadily plod down those paths day in and day out, difficult at first, but coming easier over time as you increase your ability to do it. So that's one of the principles in the book. Now, and the, the, there's the principle, and there are three reasons that we have such a difficult time living our lives in harmony with it. Now, the second principle is very interesting. Um, and before I share it with you, I'll, I'll tell you this. I, um, I shared this with the management team of one of the large companies here in Birmingham. And the, uh, the founder of the company later told me, he says, I think that may be the most, in my opinion, one of the most important principles in life, the second one. And before I share it with you, I want to read to you a couple of quotes. Uh, one comes from Bill Bradley. Um, some of you older folks remember Bill Bradley. He was an All-American uh, basketball player at Princeton. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He played for the New York Knicks. He was a senator from uh, New Jersey, and he ran for president a number of years ago. He says this. He says, success is a daily task. And he says, my approach to life is to ask myself each day, what am I doing daily to make myself better? But the quote that I want to share with you that I just love, and it's so true, from John Maxwell. He says, you'll never change your life. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily, which leads me to this second principle. It's called the vector principle. It came from a guy by the name of Robert Foster. It came from his book. And let me just read, it's just, it won't take but a second to read this. He says, the, a vector is a term in mathematics and physics that quantifies the speed and direction of an object. If you were the pilot of a jetliner, you'd use vectors to define the course to your destination. When you're given a new vector by the control center, you turn the plane to line up with that heading on the compass, creating a new vector angle. Obviously, even the smallest vector change in the cockpit can make a big difference in the plane's ultimate destination. Though it may seem an imperceptible change with every mile travel, you are further from, every mile travel, you are further from your previous course. For example, you can make a tiny vector change while flying between New York and Seattle and end up in Los Angeles. The vector principle applies to our lives in the same manner. Even if you never fly an airplane, you are vectoring through life by the choices you make. You are currently on a path that was determined by choices you have made since you are aware of your capacity to choose. Many of these choices seem rather insignificant at the time, but listen to this. This is the heart of the principle. But small changes make a big difference over time. Small changes make a big difference over time. Nito Quaben, very prominent business consultant, says one of the greatest reasons people cannot mobilize themselves is that they're always dreaming of some grand accomplishment that they hope one day will come to pass. He says, but most worthwhile achievements 
are the results, listen to this, of many little things done in a single strategic direction. A number of years ago, I read a book by Donald Phillips uh, studying the life of Abraham Lincoln. And he talked about Lincoln's, um, Lincoln's approach to leadership. And in the book, he talked about how Lincoln approached winning the Civil War. And Phillips says, Lincoln realized that the attainment of such a successful outcome had to be accomplished in small steps. So he constantly set specific short-term goals that his generals and cabinet members could focus on with intent and immediacy. One more quote, Paul, uh, Pat Williams, who was former NBA coach and vice president of the Orlando Magic, uh, was very good friends with the legendary John Wooden, who I thought was an incredibly wise man. Probably the most successful coach in sports of all time. And one night, Williams and, and Wooden were having dinner, and Williams said, Coach, if you could pinpoint just one secret to success in life, what would it be? And Wooden thought about it for a minute, and then he said, You know, the closest I can come to one secret of success is this. A lot of little things done well. Interesting. A lot of little things done well. You know, so it's, it seems that all great accomplishments, all significant goals reached, as a result, a lot of small objectives met, a lot of little things done well. And so now in my own life, at the first of every year, you know, back in my 30s, I used to, it's amazing the, the goals. I'd write them out, and they were vast, and they were hard, and usually by March, the, you know, I'd taken the, the piece of paper I'd written them on and thrown it away. And so what I've learned, it's so much wiser to, to look at your most important areas of your life and maybe seek to make one change, a small change. And then watch it become a habit. And once it becomes a habit, it creates kind of a ripple effect in your life. Particularly if that habit remains with you for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. It's like compounding. You know the term compounding? You know, it makes all kind of sense in finance, but it's also true in our lives. It can work powerfully in your life. So I'll leave you with this challenge as we, uh, as we wrap this up. Based on what you've heard this morning, can, is there anything you can take and put into practice in your own life? Because, you know, if this really isn't worth much if there's not something you can take and put it into practice in your life. And I, back in December, I turned 63. And as I look back at my life and everything that I've learned, one of the great truths that's become quite apparent to me is that if you really want to grow, if you really want to develop any area of your life, you have to be intentional about it. In one sense, you have to plan for it. Because if you don't, it'll never happen. I love this quote. I'm, I'm not, I don't know who made it, but it's a great quote. It says, life is not made by the dreams that you dream, but by the choices you make. And as John Wooden, I think, put it best, he says, there's a choice you have to make in everything you do. So keep in mind that in the end, at the very end, the choices you make will ultimately make you.
Now, as I look around, I realize uh, some of you are like me. You're, <laughs> you're get, we're getting on in years. But um, regardless of your age, I really believe what I'm, I'm, I'm going to say is true, that your final destiny for all of us, your final destiny has not been determined. And so why not seek from this day forward to really live an exceptional life so that your hopes and dreams can become a reality and ultimately in the process you bring honor and glory to God with your life. It's about 10 till, so I know some of you may be trying to get to 11 o'clock church, so uh, don't really have time for questions, but um, y'all been a great audience. I appreciate you listening. Let, let me close this in prayer. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, we thank you for the gift of wisdom that you make available to all of us. And yet you tell us very clearly in the scripture that we have to seek after it. We have to search for it as one searches for silver and gold. Help us to realize that wisdom truly is one of life's great treasures and that we would get on a path that leads to a life of wisdom. We do thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.